The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O. To go out to Children's Church, now's the time to get that done. That uh, hymn, Allison, uh, whoever chose that hymn, uh, give them my thanks, or whoever chose it, thank you. Um, you know, often we, we rush past some hymns, we forget they're actually prayers, and that is a wonderful prayer to take with you throughout uh, the day, and I would encourage you to do so, and uh, to remember that the scriptures read have weight and bearing into the book of James, uh, and I think especially will today, if you, uh, maybe later this afternoon or tomorrow, uh, go back, reread them, go back, think about the sermon, and let the Spirit of God kind of integrate those things into your heart and into your mind. You know, one of the great privileges when we come to hear God's word is to be brought into truth, truth that takes us from the despair of our sins and brings us into the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ, the joy of salvation. It is the joy of salvation that invites us to live in God's wisdom and as we do, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become true worshipers of the living God. I want to read our sermon text right now, which begins in James chapter 3 and verse number 6. And I want you to see the contrast uh, that James gives us between a life that is following the wisdom from below and the life that is following the wisdom that is from above. And ask yourself, have you been delivered out of that wisdom from below so that you might live with the wisdom from above? Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Doth a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh water and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. 
this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the fruit whose and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. As we read this sermon that James has preached, we might be tempted to think of it only in terms of what we'll call practical Christianity and not doxological Christianity. In other words, Christianity that kind of just is lived on the horizontal plane. Tell me what to do, I'll do it, you know. Instead of reading James as a guide that actually brings us into worship, into worship. So if we read this book purely in practical terms, I think we're making a mistake. I think we do James a disservice and his sermon a disservice. And I'm going to argue in this sermon that the book of James is actually doxology. That is, it is a book that has the worship of God at its very heart. Now, it's, of course, one thing to say that. It's another thing to prove it. And I'm going to give you one piece of evidence that I think will be sufficient to prove the point. We just actually read it in verses 6 through 8. Look again at what James tells us about the human condition that is expressed in this tiny member of our anatomy called uh, the tongue. Listen to the language James uses. It's a fire. It's the world of iniquity. It defiles our entire body. It sets on the course of fire. It sets on the course of our life. It's set on fire by hell. James says we can tame every animal, but you can't tame the tongue. You can't do it. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. We try with one hand to bless God, on the other we curse people. This is the condition James is presenting through the tongue. And you know, if you read that with a a sense of skepticism, then you're going to struggle with this sermon. And actually, you'll struggle with feeling your need for salvation. And if you're not a Christian, you'll go like, well, I, I don't need to be saved. And, and here's why. Because some do read those, that, 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 that kind of devastating analysis with, you know, a sense of skepticism. Oh, it's not really that bad. It's not that bad. The word of God uh, through, the, uh, through James has given us an analysis of what is going on inside of us and is expressed through our tongue. And I wonder how many people read that and go like, well, I, it's not that bad. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, listen, you've got a problem, your blood pressure. I, I thought your head was going to pop off. We need to get you on some blood pressure medicine. And you walk away and you go, I don't think it's that bad. 
you get a worn tire and they go, hey, you need new tires. And you get the things are sticking out and it's just flat. You need new tires. And you go, oh, it's not that bad. And off you go. I mean, how many times we do that, right? Oh, it's not that bad. And we come uh, before the very word of God that reveals something about our internal condition. And we say to God and we say to James and we say, well, no, no, it's, it's not that bad. I just speak my mind. You know, James says it is that bad. James says our internal condition outside of God's saving work is not one that we can remedy on our own. We can't save ourselves from that devastating analysis. It's a world of unrighteousness. This tiny member called the tongue is defiled. It defiles our whole life. It sets us on a fire of hell. It's untamable kid growing up in Chicago, we'd often go down to Brookfield Zoo, and I loved the, the zoo uh, because you'd go to, to the dolphin show, and the guy'd be up there on the ladder holding out a sardine or something, and the dolphins would jump through the hoop, and he'd give the thing a sardine, and these animals, these were beautiful, you know, they're just trained. You sit there and you go, wow, that is so great. But James says, you can't do that with your tongue. can train an elephant to sit on a stool or your dog to fetch a stick, a dolphin to jump through a hoop, but you can't tame your tongue. No wonder some people read that and go like, yeah, right. Skepticism. But here's my point. If we are unwilling to stay in the word of God, if we are unwilling to accept its verdict, if we are unwilling to turn to God for help, then we will not only remain under the work of death, as described by James, but we will never come to a place of true worship. As James has already told us in the beginning of the book, don't be a forgetful hearer, but be a doer of the word. You see, worship can only take place in the heart of those who have been humbled over their sinful condition and then willingly accept the verdict and then continually turn to Jesus for his deliverance. Does that describe our lives as a church? Are we the kind of people who are humbled over our sinful condition, who willingly accept the verdict delivered, but then continually turn to Jesus for deliverance because we know that we can't save ourselves there's no self-salvation we can't get ourselves out of our own predicament but, but as we see you know back at the beginning of the chapter where this discussion started it was the lack of being humbled by God's word as expressed with these teachers you see the the teacher in verse 1 seems to be out of place with the tongue that follows, but what you need to do is you need to draw a line from verse 1 to verse number 13, where then he picks back up on addressing these teachers. So the teachers in verse number 1 
who are going to incur a stricter judgment are unwilling to actually think about the words that they're speaking or the words that they're teaching. They, what they thought was their, their words were going to actually you know, outmaneuver the condition inside of them. That somehow they were going to be able to get past that. And that's why James then says in verse 13, well, who is wise and understanding among you? And in a church like ours and in a nation like ours where Christianity is still, you know, everywhere and tools for Christianity everywhere. And everybody's got multiple Bibles and resources and Bible studies and all these things. We are just lined up perfectly for this kind of a disaster where we think we know it all and we can even repeat it. But then what's actually inside of us betrays it. The hypocrite Jesus was talking about that um, uh, Bob read in, uh, in Matthew's gospel. The hypocrite. Or the lack of wisdom from Proverbs. You see, if we think ourselves to be wise, if we think that we have a handle on what we might call, you know, the practical life of faith, and if we think ourselves experts in understanding the scriptures, kind of self-justifying our actions based on the way we kind of shuffle scripture verses around, and yet we're not able to show these things, according to verse 13, in uh, our good behavior and deeds and gentleness of wisdom, then we're really not wise and we're really not people of understanding. I mean, that's hard for Christians in America to hear. But I believe it's true. So think about your life for a moment. Knowledge, Bible knowledge, whatever level you may have. But then when you actually live out the Christian life, is it expressed in deeds that appear to have the gentleness of wisdom attached to it? Well, well, no. I just go out there and plow through life. Whoever gets in my way gets in my way. But I'm a Christian. Eh. You know, you better have a discussion with James about that. Now, now gentleness of wisdom doesn't have to do with, you know, being a pushover. You know, Jesus didn't cower in a corner somewhere and never speak out. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a life shaped and formed by God's word in such a way that what we know, what we understand, is then producing out of us good behavior, verse 13, in deeds of gentleness uh, with wisdom. If you are not overcoming spiritual deception that kind of drives into you and kind of this idea of self-justification, you need to think about what James says. You need to read the devastating critique that Jesus gives to the spiritual leaders of his day who knew so much but just didn't know the truth. And the truth wasn't transforming their lives. But it is because wisdom leads to worship that we need to then pursue wisdom not from below, not from things characterized by things below, but from things characterized in that which is above. We don't need to just pursue any old kind of wisdom, you know, the wisdom of our age that is out there, 
on bumper stickers or whatever. I mean, I saw a car the other day. I don't know how the car gets down the road with just the weight of the bumper stickers on it. I mean, all of the messages is like, like a big billboard just rolling down the road. You know, there's this tiny little car, and I'm like, I, I can't read them because, you know, then you're going to end up getting in the problem there, you know? But I thought, holy cow, but that's the wisdom of the world, right? Constantly looking for something new, right? But true wisdom, true understanding, producing deeds done in gentleness comes to us as we then receive this word implanted. This is what James said in chapter number one. He says, it is with humility that you receive the word, and when you receive the word with humility and it's implanted within you, and you're not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, then you get to live the kind of life described by chapter 3, verse 13. If you're wise and have understanding, show by your good behavior, your deeds and gentleness and wisdom. Does that characterize your life? Unlike the unbridled tongue, the follower of Jesus who receives the word implanted with humility, soon finds, you know, the Spirit of God and the Word of God ruling and reigning all of their lives. And that is such a critical thing for James to tell us. If your tongue is unbridled, it means that the rest of your life is unbridled. But if you've got control of your tongue, the rest of your life will be under control as well. And so how do you get that tongue under control it is receiving the word implanted within you. It is staying in that word, letting that word shape and form and change you so that you are receiving the wisdom that is from above, a wisdom that is what? It is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruit. It's unwavering. It is without hypocrisy. And when that kind of seed is sown into your life, the fruit of righteousness sown in peace it is sown in peace by those who make peace. I mean, this is a great promise that James delivers to us this morning. That on one hand, we have a choice that we can continue to live a life characterized by wisdom from below. A life that is described as what? Full of jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, every kind of evil thing. You can do that. You can go out and you can just ignore everything that's been said, live like the world lives, and just create disorder and dysfunction, create toxic relationships and hardships on everybody just because you're unwilling to be humbled by the word of God. You can do that. Right? Never forget... I forget who said it, but I'll never forget the statement, you know. I think it was Tim Keller who said it, that, um, you know, hell is uh, God giving us the life we want, the life without him. And that's how a lot of people look at their life. I don't want God. I want to do my own life. And so you get that, the wisdom from, from below. Or you can actually live a life with the wisdom that's from above. And this is such good news. You see, we're not left in a neutral position. We are brought into faith through Jesus Christ into a life of peace, into a life then that produces godly wisdom within us. And as we ponder and we think about it, the peace that first came to us through the self-giving love of God 
poured out in the self-sacrifice of Jesus who gives his life for us. That his death by crucifixion was a death that not only took away our sin and paid our sin debt, but it then opens up a door and says, walk through this door by faith and you will live a life of peace. Peace with me. Peace that surpasses all understanding. My peace I give to you, Jesus says. A life of peace. And when Jesus, you know, who is the founts of all wisdom, rises from the dead on the third day, he shows us then how a life of faith, a life that fully trusts God, then can be lived in a relationship of peace. And is that something you long for in your life? A relationship characterized by peace. Peace with God through faith in Jesus. Peace within yourself, no longer warring and battling within. Peace, you know, in relationships, whatever those relationships may be. In your family, in the church, outside of the church. Because the fruit of the righteousness of Jesus being sown within you is a fruit of peace with those that make it. And this is what God's grace does. God's grace leads us to a life of wisdom so that we can then worship the God who has given to us this great gift. This great life of wisdom leads us to worship. Grace brings us into a life we could never make for ourselves. This grace brings us into a life that when we truly understand it, it, it humbles us. It invites us to look up and worship the living God who has poured down his grace upon us, his generosity upon us, great mercy that takes sinners like us. Can you imagine that we are, have been turned, transformed into true worshipers? I mean, I mean, let that grab a hold of you for just a moment. What you once were outside of Christ, you are now in Christ able to be completely different, which then gives you the freedom, the context, and the power to be a worshiper of the living God as your life is shaped and formed by the wisdom from above. You know, wisdom is not a commodity. It is, it is from the overflow of the God of all wisdom. Wisdom's not like a sandwich. God, you know, gives us, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich here. No, he's giving of himself out of the eternal and infinite, you know, wisdom of God poured out upon us. He is sharing himself with us. The wisdom with which he created and sustained all things, the wisdom which formed the plan of redemption into which he invites us and is ours, and the wisdom that carries us through our eternal fellowship with him. It's all ours to enjoy. Who is wise in this room? Who has understanding in this room? It will be those whose hearts are humbled before the word of God, Pursuing the God of wisdom, his wisdom from above. And then, you know, that's why we sing songs like, How Great Thou Art. Because we, we realize, again, it's not about self-salvation. It is about what God has done for us in 
Jesus Christ. I urge you to read this letter as we are now halfway through it as a letter of doxology. Not a letter you check in boxes and go like, oh, I got that one, I got that one, I don't got that one. I don't read it first and foremost as a way into worship, the worship of the living God. Father, we give you thanks for your word to us this morning. I pray that it would search us, it would know us, it would try us, and it would show us any evil way. And then let us receive it with meekness, the implanted word, so that our very soul... Oh, God would be saved. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.